Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, as our scripture reading uh, today. Philippians 4, verse 10 through 20. And following the reading of scripture, we will sing together the glory pottery printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear hear now God's word. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Amen. Let's bow for a moment, please, uh, of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your word today and ask, O Father, that you would teach us and instruct us and guide us. In our thinking, I pray for your enabling grace that I might uh, proclaim your word clearly and that you would be the one that would receive all glory and honor in all that is said and all that we think. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are, we are in this portion of the Heidelberg Catechism that is reminding us of how we can express our gratitude to the Lord at the moment, reflecting on obedience to the law of God. Remember the overall categories of the Heidelberg Catechism. The first uh, section of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, talks to us about how great our sin and misery is. Then the middle section of the Catechism is organized around how we may be delivered from our sin and misery. And then this last portion, how we may show, express our gratitude to God for such deliverance. Well, we're on uh, the Eighth Commandment, and uh, you may think on the Eighth Commandment, I think I'm okay on this one. Uh, I think might have had some trouble on the other ones, but this one I've got. In fact, Kevin DeYoung, when he begins his commentary on on, uh, this particular commandment, he uh, writes, uh, you shall not steal seems like a relatively safe command. We know the third commandment is going to trip us up because we've all lost control of our tongue from time to time. 
The commands against adultery and murder, when they are considered matters of the heart, are certainly going to bring some conviction. Even the command to rest will probably cause us a squirm or two. But the Eighth Commandment seems pretty safe. In one survey by the Barna Research Group, 86% of adults claimed that they are completely satisfying God's requirement regarding abstinence from stealing. So as you and I think about this commandment, we might think, I'm doing okay. But if we reflect a little bit on the question and answers we read today, uh, we may not be quite so hasty to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, We want to think about this particular commandment, uh, and it's important for us uh, as we've been going through these commandments, the first commandment, the law of loyalty, the second commandment, uh, the law of worship, the third commandment, the law of reverence, the fourth commandment, the law of rest, the fifth commandment, the law of authority, the sixth commandment, the law of purity, excuse me, the law of life, the seventh commandment, the law of purity, and then this one, the law, perhaps you could say, of property or of industry, but how do we handle our neighbor's possessions? And the command is simply, thou shalt not steal. Uh, Where I want to take you this morning in this sermon won't be primarily on what you are command, what you are forbidden to do, and what you are commanded to do. Uh, I'm hoping you'll reflect on these questions and answers you've read. You can also go to our Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Westminster Larger Catechism. They do a wonderful job, kind of expounding on this. But what I'd like to direct your thoughts to this morning, after a few miscellaneous thoughts are on two particular uh, trains of thought. One is, what is the root of theft? What is it that lies behind uh, disobedience to this commandment? And then, uh, what can we do, or what are some helps that we have to help us obey this command? Uh, But just to kind of get us into the topic, John Calvin, writing about this commandment, says... This law is for our hearts as much as for our hands, in order that men may study both to protect the property and promote the interests of others. There's action, there's activity, as well as our thinking that needs to be controlled by this commandment. A.W. Pink, interestingly enough, brings up some thoughts uh, related to this command. He says the very first uh, um, sin ever committed was the sin of theft. Adam and Eve were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was God's tree. They were not to eat of it, and they stole from God in eating of that tree and bringing upon themselves and us misery. Uh, Pink also highlights the fact that the very first sin that was committed when the people of Israel entered the land of Canaan was the sin of theft. Now, of course, we're not saying that they were perfect up to that point, but the first sin that's brought to our attention is theft. You remember they entered the land, uh, they began their military campaign, they conquered Jericho, and God's command had been, that whole city is devoted to me, 
And you are to not take, you're to destroy everything and not touch anything. And what we find in the subsequent tragedy of losing the battle with the little town of Ai, God by lot selected Achan. And Achan had to confess that when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Theft. Um, He goes on to say the first sin committed by the Christian church was theft. Uh, You have there in the early days of the church in Acts 5, the, the record of the fact that Ananias and Sapphira they sold their property and were going to give all the money to the apostles. At least that's what they said. So they had committed and dedicated all that money to, the, uh, to, to God, and yet they held back some. Uh, Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, uh, kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, in and of itself, or in, in one sense, you could say, well, that wasn't theft. It was theirs, and that's right. It was their money. They could have done anything with it they wanted to do. They didn't have to give it. They didn't have to give any of it to the apostles, but they wanted to look good. And so they claimed this is everything. But they were, this is God's complete um, offering. But they held some back. They stole from God. And they lied about it. And so we see the fabric of theft really woven throughout the history of mankind. And it's important for us to reflect on on this command. Uh, What is required of us? What is forbidden of us? Well, what is the root of theft. What lies behind theft? Jesus and other passages help us to reflect on some of the thoughts behind adultery, some of the thoughts behind murder. What are what's the root behind uh, stealing from one another? Well, there are two, I think. The first is unbelief. We don't believe God is going to take care of us or provide for us. We doubt God's care and his providence. And so therefore we feel it necessary to take upon ourselves to get, even by unlawful means, whatever it is that we want. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6 verse 24. Jesus is instructing us and encouraging us here on our attitude toward things. And it's to guide us and help us to have faith in God, uh, whether we have these things or we don't have them. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Uh, 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. At root behind theft is unbelief is the lack of faith in God that he will care for us. The reminder of Jesus in this passage that uh, the, the birds don't sow and yet God feeds them. The lilies, uh, they're, they're not forming garments and yet God clothes them. God in his providence, God in his loving care of his children will take care of them, will watch over them. And you and I need to trust the Lord Uh, for his care. All of us need to remember this. Some professions, it seems, it's thrown in their face all the time. A builder, um, as builders have talked to me, you know, they're dependent on God and his his providing opportunities and providing the weather, proper weather. Certainly farmers and ranchers They are trusting God every day for him to provide the rain that they need, for him to provide the sunshine and and the the climate that would be uh, helpful for them and and their, their work. But all of us need to keep that in front of our eyes. That God will care for us. That he will watch over us. And whenever we violate this command and step out of the path that God has put us on, we're saying, I don't believe God will take care of me. And so faith is at root uh, behind this disobedience to this command. A second thing that is a second root behind disobedience to this command is covetousness, or to put it another way, a lack of contentment. We're not content. We want something different. We want something more. Uh, Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that's not to say that you, it's not appropriate for you to want to, to better yourself, perhaps get a better job if you're able to, uh, to perhaps improve if you if your car's broken down to get another car. There's, It's not saying that it's wrong for you to desire to improve your situation, to improve your lot in life, but it it is a a challenge to us to realize that we need to be content with what we have. We need to be content with the life 
and the provisions that God has made for us. And this is where the text from Philippians 4 becomes helpful for us. Paul had learned the secret of contentment that whether he had a lot or whether he had a little, he could be content because he knew it all came from the hand of God. And the secret of contentment is that he could do all things, and in this case it's the, the doing being content through Christ who gives him strength. Combined with faith, it's an acknowledgement that uh, what God has provided is enough. What God has provided is what he is caring for us. And the realization that God will provide, will provide us, he will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide our needs. And when we're not content, we tend to step out of the path and to accumulate things, uh, sometimes in an unlawful or in an inappropriate way. So both of these things come as a root of disobedience to this command, a lack of faith and a lack of contentment. Well, how do we, what kind of path can we be on to avoid theft? What are uh, some things that we can apply in our lives and implement in our lives to help keep us on the path of righteousness and not be led into the temptation of theft in any form or manner? And so I have seven ideas, seven principles, seven thoughts that I want to give you. They're not in any specific order, particular order. Uh, some of you will leave saying, well, it should, this one should have been before that one. That's fine. You can, no problem. I accept that. Uh, but seven thoughts, seven ideas for how we can be enabled to stay on the path and not be distracted into this sin. <clears throat> and the first thing is prayer. Now you say that's obvious. It is obvious, but it doesn't mean we don't need to remind it. It's prayer. Prayer for God to strengthen our faith. Prayer for God to give us contentment with what we have. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. The writer of Proverbs gives us a specific prayer that we can make to God that helps us in keeping our expectations where they should be. In Proverbs 30, verse 8, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It's the prayer for God to, to manage not only our expectations, but to give us exactly what we need. Uh, there, there, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's a sin to love money, to overly be concerned with that. It's not having a lot. God's richly blessed us in so many ways. But the prayer here that he's offering is, God, uh, give me a balance to my life. Uh, give me what I need, but don't give me what would lead me astray, would either cause me to disown the Lord or to disobey him. 
So prayer, we need to pray, uh, for, particularly for God to give us a balance in our lives. A second thought, a second thing we can uh, do is to engage in honest labor. The, uh, the saying goes, the idle, uh, idleness is the devil's workshop. Thomas Watson said something similar. The devil hires such as stand idle and puts them to the pilfering trade. An idle person tempts the devil uh, to tempt him. Uh, it's staying busy, staying active, engaging in lawful and, uh, and a profitable work and honest labor. Uh, it's it, the, the, to engage in honest labor, this, this brings to us the uh, Pauline economy. Uh, remember, he says in Ephesians, let the thief steal no longer. But that, he doesn't stop there. He says, but let him work with his hands and do something useful that he may have something to share with those in need. You see, it's not enough to quit stealing. Of course, you need to quit stealing. Stop stealing. That's, you need to obey that, but that's not enough. Let the thief steal no longer, but let him work with his hands so that he might provide something for those in need. It's the activity. It's the engaging in honest labor that's a significant part to helping us not be tempted to get off the path and to break the command. Uh, Kind of a parallel thought, it's not a separate thought, is that the Bible is full of reminders and encouragements for us to, to do our labor honestly. Uh, the writer, writer of Proverbs says several times, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Uh, and of course, that would have a particular application to commerce, to the marketplace. You want to do, do things honestly. Be honest about the way that your, your business is. I think there's other applications to the, the exhortation to balance. But we want to be honest and do our work honestly, do it carefully, do it uh, properly. But an antidote to the temptation to steal is to be busy and work. Uh, do something profitable. A third thought is uh, to actually cultivate contentment uh, in, with what you have. We need to really work at that. Uh, the tendency is going to be desire more things. We need to cultivate the idea of being content with what God has provided for us. Uh, the way A.W. Pink talks about it, he says, we need to consider frequently the vanity of all things temporal, practice submission to divine providence, meditate much on the divine promises, And be temperate in all things. Set your affections on things above and remind yourself daily of the earthly lot of Christ. We need to cultivate contentment. Meditate on passages like Philippians 4. Uh, The Banner of Truth uh, publishes a series of smaller books called Puritan Paperbacks. And one of the... Uh, Puritan paperbacks is 
by Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. A wonderfully edifying and profitable book, well worth your time. We did a Sunday school class on it many years ago, and it was very uh, helpful and engaging. And in that book, he's encouraging us and teaching us different ways to cultivate contentment. A lot of really helpful thoughts in the book, but I want to just share one with you uh, from his chapter on how Christ teaches contentment. And his point in cultivating contentment is to understand uh, what relation you stand to the world. How are you, what's your, what's your posture, your position and your connection to this world? And he said, and he brings up two illustrations, two thoughts about that. He says, you're both a traveler and a soldier. You're, you and I are travelers in this world. And we're soldiers in the kingdom of God in this world. Well, how does that help us in cultivating contentment? Well, he writes about the traveler. For instance, when a man is at home, if things are not according to his desire, he will find fault and is not content. But if a man travels, perhaps he does not meet with the conveniences as he desires. The servants in the house are not at his beck and call or not as diligent as his own servants. His diet is not as it is at home. His bed is not as it is at home. Yet this thought moderates his spirit. I'm a traveler. And I must not be finding fault. I'm in another man's house. And it would be bad manners to find fault in someone else's house, even though things are not as much to my liking as at home. We're traveling in this world. And when things aren't to your liking in this world, that should not surprise you. This isn't our home. We're not home yet. We're traveling through this world. He goes on to talk about the traveler. And when the traveler hits bad weather, he might, he might grump about it a little bit. But what, what is there to complain about? He expects it. He's a traveler. There's going to be rain. There's going to be heat. He's traveling. He's not home. And he's going to expect those things as he's going along. You and I are travelers in this world. And when there's discomforts and disappointments, it doesn't mean we aren't disappointed, but when there are discomforts and disappointments, we can still be content because I'm not home yet. I'm traveling. And traveling is going to have some discomforts and unsettledness. And he brings up the whole issue of a, a soldier. Uh, The very thought of the condition of a soldier is enough to still his disquiet of heart. What an unseemly thing it would be for the soldier to go whining up and down with his finger in his eye, complaining that he does not have a hot meal every meal and his bed isn't warmed as as it was at home. That's pretty interesting. At home, someone warms his bed for him before he gets in it. Should I ask for that? No, no. Be in, be in trouble. But he's a, he's a soldier. Of course he's going to be experiencing discomfort. Of course it's not going to be like it is at home. He's a soldier. 
You and I are travelers. You and I are soldiers. We cultivate contentment by remembering our connection to this world. Uh, A fourth thought is to understand the fading nature of the things that we have in this life. These things will not last. Uh, Peter says that God has laid up an inheritance for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. The thing is, the things we have in this world, our inheritances in this world, they do perish, spoil, or fade. And we have to learn to hold loosely the treasures of this life. The, uh, the hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, reflects on this fading nature of things. The, the fourth stanza of the hymn goes, Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. So we have uh, a reminder that this, the, the, the treasures of this world are fading. They will not last. And so we need to be uh, content. We need to be reminded of that so we're not holding on tightly to those things. A fifth idea is that we need to seek the welfare of other people. If we spend all our time thinking about what we want and what we lack... We don't have time to be, reach out and be concerned about the needs of others. But if we spend our time thinking about the concerns and the needs of, a, of the other person, it takes our minds away from what we lack. And we use our opportunities to <clears throat> reach out to them. Uh, as uh, Isaiah would say, seek justice, encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. When you are looking out for others, you're not spending so much time looking at yourself. The sixth idea is to give liberally. We need to be generous givers. You all are very generous givers, but you need to see that as part of what helps you to stay on the path. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 talks about Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Your giving to the Lord, your giving to others, needs to be done with joy and cheerfulness. It's uh, to be a great delight, uh, to be fun to give. The word cheerful is the word hilarion. You get the idea of hilarity. That should characterize the giving nature we have. And the passage goes on where Paul talks about that God will richly bless us. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When we are generous, God is generous Uh, also toward us. He pours out his riches into our lives. Not necessarily things, but his grace is abundantly poured out into our lives. And so if we focus on liberality in our giving, it helps us not focus so much on what we 
are missing. Uh, another, uh, a, a seventh idea is to understand the principle of ownership. Uh, what is it that you really own? Does it belong to you? Is it really your possession? I mean, obviously there's property ownership and other kinds of ownership, but what, who does it really belong to? There's a saying out of one of Shakespeare's plays, uh, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Now that works well in a marriage because we all hold things in common and maybe to a little degree in the church as we share concerns and needs. It doesn't work so good in politics and society. But Philip Ryken, I think, has the better idea in the title of his message on this text. His title of his sermon is, What's Mine is God's. Everything we have is a gift from God. It's something he's provided for us. We're stewards. We use what he has given to us as a stewardship of him, from him. To honor him in the way we use it, in our attitude toward it. Uh, but it belongs to God. And if God takes away something that belongs to him... Who are we to complain? Obviously, we'll be disappointed. Obviously, there's discouragements and all of that come, and it's appropriate to feel that. But nevertheless, all we have is from God. It belongs to him. We open our hands, and we keep them open, and God lays his wonderful gifts in our hands, and then when he chooses, he may take them out but they belong to him. What's mine is God's. And I use them for his glory. And so it helps us cultivate a sense of uh, contentment and humility and faith. God will provide everything we need and uh, he may need to take it away. And we can rest in his goodness even when he does such a thing. And having some of these thoughts in our minds helps us to avoid the temptations to turn from the path. To gain things by inappropriate means. And so we need to cultivate faith. Trusting God in all things, we need to cultivate contentment and rest in his provision and experience the disappointments and losses with a restful, calm demeanor because God is watching over us. Uh, may, and, and remember that you as a traveler and you as a soldier, God has a far richer provision for you than this world can ever provide. And may knowing that enable you to live in hope and in peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the abundance of your love and how wonderfully you care for us. And many times, even when we're not expecting certain things, you pour them out into our lives. 
Father, we hear your commandment that we should not steal. Help us to do what is, to, to not do that, but, and also to do what is required of us in caring for others and using your gifts well. And may we live in faith and in contentment to your provisions by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.